Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, 29th of March episode here. We're going to talk about all things New Zealand and Netherlands. We've got a little bit of IPL cricket going on around the world with South Africa and Bangladesh. We've got a test series coming up there as well. We'll cover a bunch of different stuff around the world as we really get to the stage where the IPL will be the only thing going on. So if you want your cricket in fix, white ball and test cricket around the world, stay tuned to this episode of the Top Order Podcast. Well, semi-joking with the intro there, boys, but we are going to, I guess, see international cricket take a little bit of a hiatus in the next couple of weeks as IPL 2022 is already underway, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But we've got to start, I suppose, um, a pretty rare series, New Zealand hosting the Netherlands uh, for white ball cricket. Some local... Um, talent on show both in the black jersey but also in the orange of the Netherlands as well uh, Takapuna Pirate Max O'Dowd at the top of the order for the Netherlands also a little bit of interest with the likes of uh, Michael Rippon as well for uh, for the Netherlands as well what's caught your eye so far do we start with Will Young yeah, I mean, I guess just to set the scene, I suppose you know we're recording this after the day after the the first ODI, uh, as you say, kind of a rare series and and sort of um, I don't know, I've seen a few sort of few people a bit disappointed about New Zealand playing the Netherlands, but you know to be honest, I just love seeing New Zealand play, and I think that that's hosting the Netherlands is fantastic. I mean, we've just announced that when we New Zealand is going over to the UK, we've got series against Ireland that was already lined up, and we've lined up some games against Scotland. That's the only way that cricket builds, isn't it? That we, you know, that actually the full member nations play the associate nations and the lower ranked test nations. So, yeah, I think it's fantastic. And, and as you say, a lot of interest here for the New Zealand side. Bit of a false start with the, the T20 being rained out, which was a real shame for Dane Cleaver, actually, was someone I really wanted to, to see get their opportunity. But, yeah, pretty comfortable win for, for New Zealand in the end in that first ODI. And opportunities for some players who otherwise probably wouldn't have been in that black cap side if all 12 IPL players would have been available to to wear the black jersey. So Will Young makes a, an unlikely and rare, you know, white ball appearance for New Zealand, scores 100. Blair Tickner, who probably wouldn't be on New Zealand's, you know, first choice 11 with the ball taking four wickets. So plenty of opportunity for these players to step up and put their name in lights and, and make sure that they're in the selector's mind if there is an injury or any kind of, you know, permutations for white ball tournaments, World Cups, etc. coming up for New Zealand as well. Will Young's a really interesting one because... I, I guess regular listeners to the podcast will know I've sort of bought a bit of Will Young stock lately this summer and and really I, I actually think the, the innings that he played in India when he scored 80 odd there, scored 80 odd in the test against England when he, yeah, he, I mean looking back quite a long time ago before the 2019 World Cup he scored a couple of hundreds uh, in warm up games against Australia and I don't know. He's been he's been around the scene for for quite a while, and now that we've seen Ross Taylor, you know, obviously this is Ross Taylor's kind of swan song series. I think he's going to be a really important player for New Zealand for the next three or four years, and it, I think it's really you talk about how he might not be there necessarily. I think he's got a really good chance to make his case to be there in most forms of of cricket for New Zealand. 
I think the interesting thing to come out of this series is this is his debut international 100, right? He doesn't have a test 100 yet. No, no. So this could be actually the genesis of Will Young as a player who believes in himself at the highest level, at the international level, and maybe there's an opportunity for him to transfer that belief into the test arena. You know, you talk to a lot of players, and we've talked to some on the podcast, that say that, you know, it's it's a while before they feel like they really belong, and maybe this is the catalyst for him. His debut international 100, he's kind of got that under his belt. He knows he can achieve at the highest level now and maybe it's onwards and upwards for for him from here and I guess with so many of the what you'd call first choice players missing it's also an opportunity for him to really say well I'm in the test side I've got to stand up and be responsible here I I know they've got the likes of Ross Taylor Tom Latham still uh, in the side but you you know I'm missing some you know pretty decent names in the white ball arena so maybe that you know added level of responsibility also might have might have helped him in in that innings as well yeah and it's competition for places as well when those guys come back so look it's it's all looking up for New Zealand so far what about for the Netherlands Stu who caught your eye for the, the the men in orange well, I mean, Michael Rippon's the the clear person that I guess has sort of sparked everyone's excitement here in New Zealand over his performances in, in that first ODI runs, couple of wickets. Yeah, again, regular listeners to the podcast will know that I like nothing better than uh, a spinner bowling it through the gate. And I mean, you know, it's Ross Taylor's farewell series, but to see that kind of got me pretty excited to go through the gate and hit the top of off pole. So yeah, look... I, the thing is with with Ripon, he's been around. He's uh, he's definitely in the New Zealand selectors' eyes, which makes him someone to watch. He he's been in New Zealand A squads. He had a brilliant Plunkett Shield uh, last year, I think it was. Was pretty much the best all rounder in, in New Zealand at, at that level. He hasn't had you know he hasn't set the world on fire in New Zealand first class cricket this year, but he's someone who's been very consistent and stuff. And you know I think the challenge for him is that. We actually have reasonably good uh, stocks in terms of our spinners for the number one spots. You know, maybe second and third down is is where the question marks come in. But if you're looking at the white ball stuff, we've got Mitch Santner, who's, you know, arguably one of the best spinners in the world at at international white ball, at at the white ball level. Mm. Then you've got uh, Ish Sodi backing him up, who's who's done a great job for New Zealand over the last, you know, three, four, five years. And then in the test arena, we've got AJ Patel, who can barely get a run, but, but every time he performs for New, every time he plays for New Zealand, he gets ten for an inning. So he does it's hard to job. drop him, right? Exactly. So you know where you slot Ripon in is going to be interesting. Obviously, he can offer a bit more with the bat than certainly Ish and, and AJ's. I I think actually where they might be thinking about him is possibly the Pakistan tour that's coming up. Uh, you know, our next sort of test tour after the UK one in, in June. So and I think the Pakistan one. I can't even remember when it happens, but some to, oh, it's sort of around the end of uh, end of this year, around December, November, January, I think, or one of those months, in, in the end of the year anyway. But I think that is where we might see, if he is going to get selected and can, can continue this form, I think that's where we might see it. I, th- I think it will be hard, unless there's an injury, for him to break into the, the white ball squads for uh, the upcoming T20 World Cup or something like that. But he's got a great backup to be able to go to that T20 World Cup, potentially as a member of that Netherlands side who 
did okay actually in the in the qualifiers and stuff like that. So they they will be looking for players to step up in this series and no better shot window to get picked for New Zealand than playing against New Zealand on the international stage as well. So Michael Rippon's got almost two bites at the cherry here, but I'm sure he'll be very proud to be wearing that orange jersey and, and everyone who does gives a great account of themselves. Exactly. And I mean, on that, I think Max O'Dowd's got a real opportunity in terms of actually just trying to get a, a first class spot here in New Zealand. You know, I thought he's performed really, really well in that T20 World Cup. And yeah, I feel like it's a little bit surprising that he hasn't really been given an opportunity uh, to play first-class cricket in New Zealand. So yeah, hopefully for him, he gets a, gets a score in the series and, and gets that chance. You mentioned obviously the one and only T20 unfortunately rained out. Two more ODIs, both in Hamilton, both day-night games to follow the game at the Mount. You'd fancy New Zealand to take the series 3-0, particularly in the longer form of white ball. You're more of a, a poten- potential banana skin, uh, easy for me to say, in the, in the T20s. But expecting anything less than two comprehensive victories for, for the Black Caps in these two games? I think you you hope you hope that New Zealand does the job here. It's as, as simple as that. That's you know I think a loss would be would be fairly disappointing from a, a New Zealand fan perspective. But yeah, I think there's plenty to play for. Obviously, you know as we mentioned before, it's it's Ross Taylor's swan song, and and you know I I think everyone in New Zealand, everyone's you know been talking about how much. Ross Taylor's meant to New Zealand cricket, and you know it wouldn't it would be nothing um, would please New Zealand fans more than to see him go out with a, a hundred or, or do something really special in, in one of these two games. And especially now uh, the the restriction on fans is gone. So yeah, I really hope that we get a, a couple of big crowds to, to celebrate Ross and everything that he's done over the last couple of games. We'll move on to white ball, more white ball cricket, IPL 2022, well underway. We are five games in. Listeners to the podcast will know that at the moment our predictions are ringing true. We, I think, all tip Rajasthan Royals to be somewhere near the top of the table. They are at the moment by courtesy of uh, a victory in their game, um, opening game of the tournament against the Sunrisers and a pretty healthy net run rate, just over three. Anything caught our eye so far in IPL 2022? Well, let's take that game, that game that you've just mentioned there, the Royals and and uh, and Sunrisers. I think the things that we can glean from the first week of the IPL, which isn't much to be fair, is that I think the Royals are going to be quite a strong cricket side and they're going to be at the pointing end of this table if that first game is anything to go by. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because I, I pointed out to you guys, and um, I may have had a little nibble on myself, but the, the Rajasthan Royals have been at the start of this tournament were really quite far down in terms of the, the all the betting agencies. They were they were at ten to one to win the tournament, you know, sixth or seventh down rank in the rankings. And yeah, it felt surprising because uh, I mean, you know, we're certainly not IPL experts, but when we looked at those sides, I think all of us unanimously thought they were one of the sides to to really look out for in this tournament. And um, yeah, they just haven't been rated. I see after winning that game big. They've uh, they've plummeted. Well, maybe you know, maybe it's the two or three dollars that I've put on have, have uh, plummeted the odds. They've certainly drawn the odds in. I mean, just have a look at their lineup though. This game they made two ten for six. Butler, Jaswell, Sanju Sampson, Patakal, Shimron, Hentmeyer. That's a really quality top five. Their bowling attack is Ravi, Yuzvendra Chahal, Trent Bolt, and Prasid Krishna. Excellent, excellent bowling attack. They've got options up and down the board. They're a really well balanced side, as we said in the preview. On the other side. Kane Williamson and the Sunrisers. Could be a tough year. Yeah, it's going to be a long year for the Sunrisers, I think, if, if this is anything to go by. I mean, you have a look at at that team that was held together by by Aidan Markram's 57 not out. Um, he and Kane 
and Nicholas Piran are going to have to score a lot of their runs this season, aren't they? And they're going to have to bowl sides out with a bowling attack that on paper looks pretty good. Buvikuma, Umran Malik, highly rated, Washington Sundar, T. Natarajan, you know, names that have performed in the IPL up until this point. But they got they got a bit of tap from the Royals, and I think that's probably set to continue. Umran Malik, uh, I hope his uh, hope his bank account's looking um, always ready to accept deposits this year because uh, I don't know if you guys have seen, but they they give out an award for the I think it's called the Swiggy fastest ball of the tournament. You know how when you, at the end of the IPL each IPL game it must go on for about forty five minutes or something. Afterwards, everyone comes up and collects these big, uh, you know, big checks that have all got different sponsors' names on it. Can't bank them, by the way. They're oh, not, can you they're, not? They're not real. Ah, oh, I didn't know that. Didn't know that. That's disappointing. I would love to take one of those giant checks into a bank, but anyway, the uh, the he there's a there's one for a, the fastest ball of each game, and Umran Malik is is rapid, so he's going to win a lot of those awards this year, and he's going to be an exciting bowler to watch as as. You know, as potentially uh, they might not contribute to a lot of wins for mm. for the Sunrisers, but yeah. But he'll have a great looking pool room with all of these big novelty checks, kind of exactly, o- almost like wallpaper around the outside of the pool room. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Mm. Gujarat Titans taking down the battle of the expansion teams uh, in match four at the Wank Haiti. So, Mohammed Shami MVP in that game three for. 25, knocking the top off that Lucknow Supergiants order, including the, the what I'd say are pretty important wickets of KL Rahul and, and Quinton de Kock. Um, although Deepak Huda and Ayesh Badoni, 50s down the order, getting them to a reasonable a reasonable total. New Zealand interest in that game was Lockie Ferguson. Um, economical in his four overs without picking up um, a pole, but then look a really good um, batting performance through the cards. So Wade, Panja, Miller, uh, to Watia, all making contributions. Um, yeah, interesting to, yeah, I, I guess that they'd both have wanted to get that first win on the board uh, early in the tournament. Mm, absolutely. And I mean, I think uh, what we've seen from this tournament so far is that finishes or, or the, the, you know, I think we talked a lot in our preview about kind of the the role of the players five, six and seven and pot- potentially that's where some of the teams we felt had gaps. And actually, I think we've seen so far how important those players are and particularly if it's going to be a tournament that continues like this where there's a lot of runs, then, you know, having someone that can come in, I think we've seen, you know, Odie and Smith came in and scored 25 off about eight balls or something, mm. won a game for them. Uh, we had, yeah, Shimron Hetmeyer, you mentioned before, I think he scored his 30 off about 13 balls or something. So, you know, having that, that player that can just come in and do that is it's a real skill and someone that can you know, turn your side from it's it's getting you from one seventy to two hundred, isn't it? And it makes a massive difference in a tournament like this. And both of these sides have players who've got that capability. You know, if you have a look at um, if you have a look at that Gujarat Titans team, they've got Hardik, they've got David Miller, they've got Rahul Tawatia, who last year for Rajasthan was excellent in that role. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Finishing batting, and you actually have seen that in a trend of those winning sides have had guys who've come in and blasted. You know, in this case, Tawatia, forty off twenty four, five fours, two sixes, is able to put the ball out of the ground and really get his team home. So yeah, that's an emerging trend in the IPL for certain. Guys, I want to pick your brains on the first game of this IPL. So KKR, a convincing victory against the Chennai Super Kings. But MS Stoney's coming for some criticism after scoring 50, batting at number seven. Came in at five for 61 
and struck at a higher rate than pretty much anyone in that team. A, a, a Robin Apatha slightly ahead of him, but 50 off 38 balls at a strike rate of 131. And he's coming for some flack in terms of not getting them to a, to a better total. Discuss. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I, they, that's the kind of thing that was happening with KL Rahul last year. Sometimes when, you know, he was putting on big scores and, and uh, you know, people are saying, well, he's not going fast enough. I think in Tony's case there, I mean, five for 61 is your problem. I think Stephen Fleming actually said that after the game. You know, we're, it was delighted. he was delighted to see Emi Stoney score some runs, but obviously would like the top order to, to get those runs. And, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's, it's seen, it sort of seems ridiculous. I don't know what we can take really from this first week if we're going to look at, uh, you know, actual team's performance. I saw some weird stat that the the Mumbai Indians have lost the last 10 opening games they've lost, uh, which, yeah, when you look back at through those 10 years, they've won the tournament quite a lot. And, and even thinking about the, the players that are missing so far in this tournament, all the Australians that are, that are missing so far and and a bunch of other players that just haven't arrived for, for different reasons. You know, uh, uh, Mo Ali wasn't there for, for CSK in that game, and he's going to be a really crucial player for, for them. So, yeah, I don't know that there's a lot to read into it, but there's going to be some excitement if we're going to see scores like we have, and, yeah, a lot of young players emerging. Well, we'll certainly keep a close eye on the tournament as it progresses. I'm sure you'll see a lot more IPL content in your podcast feed from the top order over the course of the next five or six weeks. Before we go on and look at the Women's World Cup, must point out South Africa, Bangladesh, ODIs going on. And Baldy, Bangladesh looking pretty hot at the moment in terms of the statistics at least. Yeah, well, Bangladesh now on top of the Super League, which is the... ODI, white ball, international cricket league, a bit like the test championship, but I think it has impact on qualifying for the 50 over World Cup, if I'm it does, not mistaken. It does, although then you, then I think it's being scrapped after after this World Cup, so yeah, it, it, it doesn't have much relevance for much longer, but it does it's have... It's temporarily important. Yeah, it's temporarily important for who qualifies and, and I guess having to go through those extra qualifying rounds, which, mm. is, which is something you probably don't want to go through. So regardless of, of how long it lives for, Bangladesh at the moment on top of the Men's Cricket World Cup Super League. 12 wins, 6 losses, 120 points. Well clear of Binksy's England who are in second place on 95 points. But South Africa languishing. Now they're 4-7 and seven with two no results. But they're right down in ninth alongside New Zealand and Pakistan. So there are some quality cricket sides that are down the bottom of that order. But good on Bangladesh. I mean, they're winning games of cricket. They're winning um, in their home conditions and they're able to put on some good performances. And they're a side that's on the rise. You know, 18 months, two years ago, a couple of their big names retired. We thought this might have been an era where they struggled as a cricket side. They struggled here in New Zealand, what, 12 months ago when, when they came here for ODIs and, and T20s and so forth? Yeah, and then then came here and won that test and put us in a, in a lot of trouble. And, and, there's, and there's a lot to like about a lot of the cricketers that are playing for them at the moment. We liked Tuscan Ahmed when we saw him 12 months ago here in Auckland. We all watched him play and we thought he was a likely character. He's performed well in this series. Uh, Tamam Iqbal is, is going along and they're getting great contributions from Shakib Al-Hassan as well. So, you know, this is a cricket side that aren't going to lie down. They are going to be competitive and they're going to be um, tough to beat in their home conditions. Yeah, and I mean, that this test series is going to be fascinating in terms of what happens you know, we've just seen South Africa. We we were saying similar things about South Africa as a team on the rise, and and all the stuff after they came to New Zealand uh, earlier in the in the summer, and uh, and performed really admirably in that Test series, or at least in that that second game, and and made us uh, you know beat us fairly comfortably in the end. But 
the the thing is that South Africa have then gone and what we've, they're missing their whole bowling attack. Uh, yeah, all of them. Out yeah, of that, all out of that test attack. series. Janssen and Gidi, uh, Rabada, uh, and there's and Nokia is, are not there. They're all in the, going gone to the IPL, which you know we had this little chat last week about club versus country and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you know, we won't relitigate that as well. But it it makes this series really fascinating in terms of you know where are these two teams at, and you know can South Africa actually afford to do that in the World Test Championship because they're actually in a pretty reasonable spot, I would say, on mm. on that ladder and a chance to kind of vault themselves into finals contention. If Bangladesh go, you know, if Bangladesh can upset the apple cart here and take some points away from South Africa, yeah, I think they'll be pretty, you know, South Africa would be pretty disappointed with that. They've got no slouches in their replacement bowling attack. I mean, Sturman was okay here in New Zealand. We saw um, Sipamla, he looked pretty good as well. I mean, they've got big, big shoes to fill in terms of Rabada and and Gidi and even um, Nokia. Um, Marco Janssen was good here in New Zealand as well. So they're missing a lot of experience and a lot of potential, but they've got guys who can step up. You know, Vian Mulder's played test cricket, Dwayne Olafia's played test cricket. So they've got enough firepower, I think, to trouble that Bangladesh top order. But whether or not they're going to be outplayed by Ebadot, who was great here in yeah, um, really good. In, in New Zealand, you know, we just mentioned Tuscan Ahmed, who's been doing really well, and then you've got all this in, all their spin contingent, Mahidi uh, Hassan Miraz. They've got um, a whole bunch of of spin options available to them. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting test series. It's going to take on a little bit more importance now because if South African can win, that vaults them right up to the top of of this World Test Championship. Yeah, and look, they'll be sweet. They're playing England in the English <laughs> summer, so they've got a whitewash um, there for sure. L- let's move on to the Women's World Cup. News on the eve of the semi-final. Elise Perry ruled out with a back spasm. Hasn't mattered, though. Convincing victory for Australia, winning by 157 uh, runs. Look, it's the form book, isn't it, Baldy? We, we expected this. We, we we joked about who was going to get the right to play Australia in the final. The answer to that question will be found out tomorrow with South Africa taking on um, England, who have managed to scrape through to the semi-final stage. But, Baldy, you must have been pleased as punch with a, a big 100 for Alyssa Healy in a, in a fantastic opening partnership with Rachel Haynes. Yeah, the Healy the Healy piece is the is the real talking point from from my point of view in this Australian side because Rachel Haynes has got runs in this tournament, Meg Lanning's got runs in this tournament, Beth Mooney's got runs in this tournament. Alyssa Healy hasn't really set the house on fire yet. 129 off 107. Look, the West Indies were their own worst enemies today. They dropped a lot of catches. They weren't particularly good in the field. They were below what we would expect of of a West Indies side, but men's or women's, in terms of their athleticism and their fielding and their general kind of out cricket that wasn't very good uh, by their standards. But, you know, Alyssa Healy cashed in 129 off 107 deliveries. And that partnership, I think it was, 216 to open the batting for Australia with her with Rachel Haynes has really laid a, a bit of a marker down for whoever they're going to play in the finals. What has impressed me about Australia over their last three or four games is they have found ways to, when they are under pressure, they have been calm, they've been calculated, They've known what they've got to do to get themselves out of that hole that they've been that they've been put in by the opposition. Opposition they've, they've, they've been put them in quite a few different holes throughout the tournament. Absolutely, oppositions have played well against Australia in this tournament and put us under pressure. What has been really, really pleasing is that so far Australia have responded to that, and they've been clinical in terms of the way they've approached their cricket, and they haven't let the situation get the better of them. I think. One of the things that I have noticed, and I think other people have commented on it, I mean, at least to to me as as well as you guys, 
is that under pressure, you really find out about some of these teams in terms of how they execute their skills. And I think it's been the downfall for New Zealand to a certain extent. Um, key moments under pressure, New Zealand weren't quite able to get the job done. And that's been, you know, in the end, particularly that West Indies game, that has proved quite decisive in terms of their fortunes in the World Cup. Absolutely. And and early for England as well. You know, that, that pressure game against the, again, against the West Indies early in the tournament, that could have seen them, you know, it turns out results went their way and they've built a lot of momentum over the back end. But, you know, those kinds of pressure execution situations, that's where Australia has really differentiated itself from the competition so far. Because in all of those key moments so far, touch wood, Australia Australia have responded well under pressure and they've been able to execute their skills, which has been particularly pleasing. You mentioned New Zealand there. Why don't we get this out of the way now in terms of their performance? And I guess the things that have that have come out of, of that now, we're sort of, there's been, you know, we've seen uh, Bob Carter say that he, uh, essentially he's left the side, uh, not going to be retained uh, as the coach. There's been a lot of, uh, the chat has sort of said that that was kind of always the plan. You, you, know, you never know with these kind of things. Uh, regardless, I think it's fair to say that a lot of things that, uh, you know, the a lot of the tactics that went on during the tournament, they didn't work necessarily as, you know, as, as whether they're all things that Bob Carter tried to put in place, bring Leotahuhu up the order, you know, the, the selections of um, Fran Jonas, Georgia Plimmer, over some more experienced players, they haven't paid off. So you know, I, I think there's no there's no uh, agenda there necessarily, but you know, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see which players follow suit. There's been a lot of talk about all of the older players in New Zealand, and I don't know. I mean, we saw Katie Martin uh, in that final game for New Zealand, a lot showing a lot of emotion. Um, there, there is the the Commonwealth Games coming up in in July August, and um, you know, I think that will be a, a real. Uh, draw card for a lot of those players to, to stick around and um, but you know those the, the, all of the the players the older players for New Zealand are the ones who performed the best in this tournament I don't want to see them retire I've got no interest in seeing you know Bates Divine Satterthwaite being the ones that are that are disappearing from the New Zealand side because then I think we'll be in serious trouble yeah, and look, I know Baldy wants to jump in, but I, I think what we've got to look at, we talked about this at the start of the tournament. It was going to be really tight um, as to who was going to get into that final four. I, I think Australia were always locks for, for that final four, but we talked about South Africa, England, West Indies, India, New Zealand, all having a chance and probably only really wrote off Bangladesh and Pakistan. And look, that you know was pretty apt in terms of when you look at that points table but um we, you know with west indies india new zealand all finishing on the same win loss record um essentially or there or, there or thereabouts um it was always going to be relatively relatively tight and um, with this sort of retirements and you see this sort of world cup as it's a cycle isn't it um and you see a lot of decisions at the end of that but i would look i'd echo your points i just i just urge those senior players to kind of take a little bit of time not make that decision based too much on the emotion and you know we've seen in uh, men's cricket we've got a couple of pretty decent older players for England that have been kind of left out of the side and and you think that they're going to return like Lazarus um, after you know the recent performance of their counterparts in a test series so uh, I I just hope that they make those decisions based on their form and their fitness and their desire rather than necessarily the disappointment potentially of missing out on a semi-final on home soil. The thing with this New Zealand campaign is that ultimately, and I think this is a good thing for New Zealand cricket, ultimately 
White Ferns fans and the New Zealand cricket public in general have been really disappointed for New Zealand to miss out on the semi-finals of this World Cup, which means two things. One, the expectation is there that the White Ferns perform well, and that they have that expectation themselves. When we talked to um, when we talked to Christy Havel in the preview show, she was talking about New Zealand having expectations on themselves to to make that semi-finals, and I think a lot of people will be disappointed that they that they missed out. They missed out because they lost two really key close games, one to England and one to the Three. West Indies. South Africa. Um, yeah, you can count the South Africa game as, as well. In those games, they had it in their own power to win those games, and they were in a position where they could have and probably should have won at least one, if not two of those games. So the disappointing outcome is that the White Ferns gave themselves every opportunity to win those games, and they weren't quite able to take it. But they were so close. They were so wonderfully close. So if you took the glass half full mentality, the White Ferns gave a great account of themselves and were one or two moments away from being four and three, mm. five and two in group stage. Easily, yeah. And then and then challenging for that title. And that's the expectation, I think, that the mindset shift that has happened in New Zealand cricket, women's cricket over the last three or four years is people would have been happy with that outcome three, four years ago to get close but not quite get there. Now the expectation is that they get there. And I hope that mindset and that expectation continues because those players will be able to live up, up to that expectation in future. They, they missed out this time and they'll be very disappointed with that, as will some of their fans. But I think they've got the building blocks there for the future if Divine and Bates and Satterthwaite and those kind of senior players can hang around a little bit and grow some of these younger players, who I thought gave a good account of themselves in this mm. tournament. Amelia Kerr was really good. Maddie Green's performance, I think she took 50 against England in that low-scoring game, was really good as well. So there's a lot to like about this New Zealand effort, but they just let themselves down on a couple of key occasions, and that ended up being really costly in the wash-up. And I, th- I, mean, I think you make a great point there about the expectations and and I suppose the excitement and, and the buzz around the tournament. I mean... It's been it's been absolutely great, and this tournament just keeps delivering. If we, you know, we just talked about the the semi-finals going on. If we take a step back and look at the uh, the way that the the semi-finals came into to being, it's absolutely remarkable. That I mean, did you guys were you guys watching that India South Africa game live? The no ball and all the drama. I mean, just unbelievable kind of scenes. That it's the last pool game of the the tournament. The so whoever, well, if India had won, they'd have made it through to the semi-finals. Would have knocked the West Indies out. The West Indies side, we've seen all. I'm sure everyone's kind of seen the footage of the West Indies team kind of celebrating. I would have loved to actually see what they thought when uh, when Mignon Dupriya got hold out to Deepti Sharma before everyone called it a no ball, which I'm still not 100% sure it was a no ball. It was pretty tight. I froze it was a it, pretty tight call. Went and stared at my TV, tried to figure out that the line, you know, because it's where the bowler goes through all the time, the line's a bit worn away. It's yeah, just a, a huge, huge call for an umpire to make at that time. Wasn't it a huge moment in the context of the tournament? We've been treated to some exciting finishes. Mm. Watching World Cup games finish at sort of that 8, 9 o'clock at night has been a staple of our household for the last couple of weeks. My wife and I sit and watch the games and we we thought South Africa were done mm. like three three to get off one with a new batter on strike that was the key moment India won that moment celebration jubilation and then halfway off just hang on a minute there batter we're just going to check the no ball it's and un- you just think no you can't that's the, and, and and when we talk about winning key moments and we talk about executing your skills under pressure 
there is really very little excuse for a spin bowler, a slow bowler to yeah, overstep fair. in that in that situation. You can understand a big fast bowler, a Brett Lee, a Shoah Bakhtar, someone putting in maximum effort to try and bowl a 155-kilometre-an-hour Yorker to just miss ever so slightly and mis-executing their skills. There really isn't an excuse for a slow bowler to overstep in that situation. They should have their foot behind that front line at all times. And unfortunately for India, that's proved really, really costly. And World Cups can turn on on such an event. And as it turns out, South Africa are through. The West Indies were through, although they didn't really fire a shot today against Australia in anger. But, you know, you've got to give them kudos. They came out of the gate very, very strongly. Mm. They kind of limped their way into the semifinals, got there be- because of an, an outside event that, that helped them on their way. But, you know, when we talk about momentum, West Indies didn't carry a lot of momentum into that semifinals. One team has carried a lot of momentum into that semi-finals, Binksy, and that's England. How are you seeing their fortunes now, having started at 0-3, ripped off the last four games? Shades of World Cup 99, they've got to get two more on the bounce. How are you feeling about this England side at the moment? Yes, yeah, so, look, it's a really difficult question to answer because, look, I'm going to give a, a, a very, very cliched response here. It could go one or two ways. Uh, <laughs> but look, what I mean by that is I think England have, have kind of kept in the tournament by the absolute skin of their teeth. But I think if they can get through the semi-final, they're, they're actually a chance. And the, the reason I think that they're a chance is... There's three or four players that haven't really fired in the way that we would have hoped that they would fired. Amy Jones, who is, I think, in my view, the best wicketkeeper in the tournament um, from a, a technical perspective, absolutely sensational standing up to the stumps, um, particularly, hasn't really fired with the bat. And we know that she's got that ability. And Tammy Beaumont, while she's got a couple of 50s, and hasn't really kicked on throughout the course of the tournament. Danny Wyatt, who was batting in the middle order, has been promoted at the top of the order in that pinch hitter role. Showed a little bit of promise in Australia, actually was hitting the ball over the top very, very nicely, but hasn't really, really um, got going. And 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 again, even Heather Knight as captain um, into the tournament with a decent average of 35, but again, hasn't really kicked on. So they've got the the foundations, I suppose, of some batting form where one score um, takes you, you know, your tournament average uh, through the roof and, and puts your team in a very, very good position. The biggest question I have for England leading into this semi-final and God willing final is the performance of Freya Davies in the game um, on the weekend. Um, So came in uh, and look only based on what the commentators were saying, Anya Shrubsole rested for that game apparently, which seems a little bit strange that you would use the word rested in a must-win game. Um, but out of the side, just four wickets in the tournament at 48. And Freya Davies comes in, and I thought bowled really, really nice away swing. Yeah, and um, she ca- was really pleasant to watch, actually. Ca- came on at a good time, in, in fairness. So we, we was able to get into her work a little bit with keepers stood up to the stumps, but looked really, really good. And, and I've also been really, really impressed, and I'm sure you boys have as well, with Sophie Eccleston um, and also Charlie Deemer, their offspin as well. So mm. um, I, I hope that Davies gets a go. Um, and I've also been really, really impressed with Kate Cross as well, just has got a phenomenal um, bit of ticker, I think is the word that you would use. And mm. yeah, really has, has got probably that big game um, pedigree. So look, who knows? South Africa, I think favourites for that game on recent form have beaten us in the, the pool stages. Um, not a lot of um, recent 
games against South Africa over the course of the last four or five years. I think only five games in the last five years that we've played against them. So you can't really look at the form book too much. Um, but you'd have to say on the pool performances, South Africa going to that as favourites. Absolutely. I think so. Uh, if you want a little bit more in terms of your favouritism, Eng- England tend to win close games at World Cups and South Africa tend not to. So that probably goes in, in well, England's favour. that's favorite. a hell of a stereotype, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it just? And it's men's, not women's. But look, flippancy aside, there have been some wonderfully close games. I think we're going to be treated to another close semi-final tomorrow. And the games, Australia, South Africa and Australia, England were really close run games. Both of those sides put Australia under pressure. So whichever one goes through to the big dance, I think we'll have a lot of self-belief, particularly that England side. They scored 305 against a pretty good Australian bowling attack and almost ran down that 312, which would have been an absolute record in terms of run chases in women's ODI cricket. So there's going to be a lot of belief, and I think it's going to be a really cracking final, either which way it goes. Yeah, I guess we just got to hope that the Hagley Park weather plays ball, haven't we? Um, Lippy, as the local expert, what, you know, what's the, what are the tea leaves saying there? Oh, I haven't, I haven't looked at the Met service, but don't worry, Hagley always delivers the home of cricket, so we'll, we'll be fine. Uh, and uh, yeah, strap yourselves in for a, an impressive semi-final. Uh, by the time this comes out, probably uh, midway through the the game, but yeah, very, very excited. And um, yeah, I think we're. Uh, We'll be treated to another great game and, and hopefully another great final. Well, I've got the Met service up here. It looks pretty cold down there, sort of 10 or 11 degrees on Saturday and Sunday. So favours England as yeah, well. Make, make sure you've got the uh, make sure you've got the hand warmers. Um, Lippy, we're going to go uh, to you to finish off the podcast. What have you got for us? Oh, just a bit more Plunkett Shield, as always. Uh, just really, really, uh, the Auckland train just keeps on steaming ahead. Uh, they've already won on... That's it's, the steam train. It, yeah, it's unbelievable. Day three, again, Auckland have, have wrapped up a, a win against Wellington and, and just charging towards uh, what would be their second title of the, of the year. Just, I don't know, every time they play at Eden Park, they pile up a massive score. And then Simon Keane just bowls everyone out. It's just unbelievable. Keane. I think you know. It, it's amazing. He's, uh, you know, three or four games into his, his career, I think he's averaging about seven. He's, the, he's got a couple of fifers already in his career. I think, I think he's got yeah, three fifers from, from three games. And yeah, it's just been incredible. You know, I, I think when you, you know, I think if you actually look at the highlights, it, it doesn't look, you know, no offence to him at all because he's been absolutely tremendous. It doesn't look like he's someone who's charging him with extreme pace or, or anything like that, but he's nibbling it around. He's doing just enough. And, and on these wickets where... Every, you know, Auckland is piling on the runs. He's managing to to take a lot of wickets and really putting Auckland into the pole position. We've got players like Robbie O'Donnell and, and Sean and Sean Solia, who's scored at runs today and took wickets uh, for Auckland. So th- th- even without Guptill, Phillips, Worker, Chapman, Chapman. all mm. these players that have been, you know, we've been talking about how impressive that top order was for for Auckland, they all disappear. They still make 500. Still make, you know, nearly 500 and, and uh, roll Auckland, uh, roll Wellington for, for two low scores and, and win them the game. Let's talk about the game up in Whangarei. That was Northern Districts and Central Districts, was it? Yep. A uh, little bit of an opening stand there for, for Jeet Raval and I can't remember who the other guy was. Barat Popley. There you go. Uh, yeah, talk us through the opening stand on the opening ga- day of that Whangarei game. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad opening day if you're an, an ND batter and uh, and like either batting out in the middle if you're those two or just sitting and watching your teammates because, yeah, they scored 300 for, for none pretty much on that first day, carried it on into the second day. And all the way through the first day without without loss, which is, a, I think, probably going to be a first for New Zealand domestic cricket, surely. Oh, I don't I don't know about that. We put we had some pretty big scores. I don't think it, uh, it ranks as the number one uh, partnership 
Premiership for in in New Zealand cricket. It's, oh, wow. it's about sixth or seventh, I think. Um, Michael Paps and Luke Woodcock many many years ago, or not many many years ago, but you know, if, many years ago now it seems like uh, actually put on well over four hundred as far as I'm aware. But yeah, that there's that, it's really great to see Jeep uh, in particular. I think get a, um, a double hundred. He's obviously someone who we've seen at the international level. I think we were talking about it before that he, you know. I think at the start of his international career, we were really excited about what he could be as a New Zealand opener and then obviously went through a really rough patch, looked out of sorts. He's talked openly about how he just started to get inside his own head at, at that level and you know we know what happened when he went over to Australia, just was dropped for the side, then called back in and, and it just ended up all, all in a mess. Was thinking about giving up the game, and then he's you know he's gone down to ND and made every post a winner, captained them to the the Super Smash title, and uh, and now piling on the runs here. So good to see for Jeep Raval to, to make a really successful comeback in domestic cricket, both in terms of on field success as captain and now as as a batter as well, continuing on that good white ball form. So uh, yeah, well done to uh, to Jeep Raval. He's gone to the back net uh, many times in that game. Two hundred, well played for him. Yeah, well, apart from the CD bowlers, you've got to feel a little bit for Katane Clark, who was the number three batsman who uh, probably had a bit of pad rush and, and then's come out, hit a six in his ace um, and then uh, perished. Um, so yeah, Called for quick runs. Good sacrifice. Well done for him. Absolutely. Got a bright future, that kid. That does just about wrap up this episode of the Top Order podcast. This week in Cricket episode, you will see in the feed um, very shortly an overview of West Indies England series and also the Pakistan Australia series that's finished as well so if you want your purest red ball fix there is a specific episode just for you before we get into a lot more white ball content with the IPL in full swing but for now it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland we'll see you soon stay tuned